Maybe you don't know this yet, or maybe you're all too familiar. But when you decide to have a baby, it's not just an event that happens to you. Your entire extended family and friend circle get in on the action. After all, your parents are becoming grandparents. Your siblings are becoming aunties and uncles. Your friends are becoming honorary godparents to this little person you're ushering into the world. And that means boundary setting. Oh, my friends, this is a sticky subject that brings up all kinds of feelings, especially vulnerability. You've had these relationships within your larger circle that developed over time with you being just you or one half of a coupled relationship. You were somebody's daughter or son, somebody's sister or brother, somebody's friend who was spontaneous and able to be there for others without question. My point is that there are expectations about who you are that are incomplete now that you've started a family. Once you've had a baby, you are now somebody's parent, and this changes you in profound ways. So how does this new version of you assert yourself without really screwing up the relationships you've had with all the other people in your life up to this point? By creating healthy boundaries that protect your new little family. Will this cause ripples? Oh, you bet it will. And y'all, sometimes it may even cause waves or potentially a tsunami. But it's so worth it. Having a baby, starting a family, means getting real about what works for you, your partner, and your baby above every other relationship you've got. Did I mention that a prereq for vulnerability is getting real? Hold on tight. The water might get a little choppy. Welcome. My name is Barb Buckner Suarez. For over two decades, I've worked as a childbirth educator and a couples coach, helping thousands of families say yes to parenting. I've got some thoughts about how life changes when we choose to become parents. Those thoughts may be irreverent, funny, or countercultural at times, but I promise you, they will always be real. Whether you're curious about starting a family, in the middle of your fourth pregnancy, or your birthing days are long over, raising the next generation is hard. And all of us could use a little more support. I want this to be a place where you can find that support. Because let's face it, birth happens. What kind of support do we really need when we're new parents? There's the practical support for sure. The meals, the dog walking, the chores, the baby holding so we can take a nap or get a shower in before 4 p.m. But there's also a level of emotional support that's fundamental to how our new little family will thrive for the long haul. This type of support requires a generosity of space and grace so we can figure stuff out on our own. We need to decide what rituals, traditions, and values will be carried over from our families of origin versus what will tweak or drop altogether. And this, in turn, helps us confidently step into our new role as parent. But all of this is made much harder than it has to be if our parents, siblings, and friends don't understand or respect our need for boundaries.
Sometimes the birth of a baby is our personal wake-up call. I'm not just talking about being awakened from sweet slumber several times at night. I'm talking about how bringing a little person into this world wakes us up in lots of other ways, too. Over coffee, I talked with a mama of an almost four-month-old about those first several weeks postpartum. I was sharing how the minutes stretch into hours, days, and weeks with a newborn with no end in sight and how you're constantly swinging back and forth from being wide awake like you've never been before to moving around like a zombie, hopped up on too little sleep and too much Starbucks to help you get through the day. That immediate postpartum period can be one of delight and wonder, but for many new parents, it's just hard work with little compensation. Can I say that? Or will there be a long line of people telling me that it was the most wonderful time of their lives. Do they really wish they had a newborn to care for again? Don't get me wrong. I love babies. I have four of them after all. But I'm so happy when they're no longer newborns. Those first three months suck a lot of the time. At least they did for me. And I think we should be sharing this with new parents so they can stop hearing over and over again how this time in their lives is so precious and how they should enjoy every minute of it because they start to think there's something wrong with them if they don't feel that way. Listen, most new parents get that what has just happened to them is a miracle, and they're grateful for their new little babies, but can't we acknowledge for their sakes how incredibly hard it is to move through this transition to becoming parents? Can't we just hug them and say, I remember, and you're right, it isn't a lot of fun on the front end. What you're feeling, it's totally normal. I felt that way too. Because as new parents, y'all just want to do it right. But it's so hard to figure out what right means for your relationship, your baby, and yourselves as individuals. How are you supposed to navigate this time when your experience of this new reality is never even acknowledged? Parenting can be the best work you've ever done, but it is work. Let's not argue about that. And this work never stops. Babies might not need diapers any longer, and eventually they learn to feed themselves. But your work of ushering these littles into the world of bigs is never-ending. And sometimes it gets even harder as they get older. Waking up to that reality can feel like a smack in the face, especially if you believe that you're supposed to be loving every minute of it. Wow. Not painting a very fun picture of parenting, am I? How can I turn this around to make it more positive, or at least more hopeful. Listen, y'all, your baby awakens you in deeper, life-changing ways as well. You might find that you're much more empathetic to others around you as they work hard and struggle to get through their own life challenges. You're usually a little more humble than you were before you became a parent. Humility is a lovely human virtue that can cause you to ask others for help, which maybe you never thought you needed before. Tenderness and vulnerability are both awakened within, and while this might make you feel uncomfortable, it connects you to others in a very real and authentic way. Wonder, awe, and excitement at the everyday as your baby experiences literally everything for the first time can be so life-giving. Those of us experienced parents need to communicate the reality of what it means to have a newborn. We need to wake up and stop reciting platitudes of, it'll get better, or jokingly, it only gets worse. New parents don't need our words. 
They need our understanding and validation that what they're going through is normal. It's hard. And every parent has experienced what they're going through before them. They so badly want to come to the conclusion that this was actually a good idea, this whole baby making thing. But in the thick of it, they really just want to know that they're not the only ones facing these challenges. So let's stop trying to sugarcoat the newborn period and get real with our families about what they can expect during this time. If it's shared in a way that is caring and validating, they won't be scared. They'll be prepared. And that is a great wake-up call. How often did you hear, enjoy this time, it all goes too fast, or I loved having a newborn. It was the best time of my life. Has this been or was this your reality as a new parent? How do these statements really make you feel? We have this really weird practice in our culture that no matter the circumstances of our birth, We're supposed to be leaving the doors to our rooms wide open so that everyone in the extended family and friend circle can come by for a visit. FBC units at hospitals are usually the only ones that don't have strict visiting hours. It's the one place in the entire hospital where if the baby's born at 3 a.m. and grandma must meet her new grandchild at 3.05 a.m., she's going to be welcomed with open arms. But is this the best policy? I usually tell folks that if they have tons of extended family living nearby, they have my permission to lie about visiting hours. They can say that visiting hours are only on Tuesday mornings from 6.15 to 6.45 a.m. Whatever they need to do to keep the visitors away is fine by me. The birthing person should always have at least one person who stays with them the entire time they're in the hospital or birth center or early hours following a home birth to help them with the workload that comes with having a newborn. But really... Everyone else should just stay away and leave the family alone. Unfortunately, many expecting parents don't understand this, so they actually invite visitors to come and see their newborn. They end up with the steady stream of people walking in and out of their lives during the normal waking hours while their baby is fast asleep, which is what new parents should also be doing. I ask you, where are the visitors with extra hands to help settle the baby after feeding in the middle of the night? so that new parents can grab some desperately needed hours of sleep. Where are they? When we're receiving visitors, we force ourselves to be up and chatty and peppy and ready to show off our little angel. But inside, we might be wanting to just snuggle with our new baby, learn how to get the hang of feeding down, and doze on and off throughout the day. When we have that internal struggle between what we think we should be doing and what we really want to be doing, Y'all, this can cause some conflict. We fake it most of the time, and when the stream of visitors finally slows to a trickle and eventually stops, we break down from exhaustion or from our hormone shifting, and then our partners or support folks are left to pick up the pieces. The only things new parents should be worried about in the immediate postpartum period is getting to know their newborns, learning how to feed their baby, and beginning the physical and emotional recovery processes. Every single visitor we entertain takes away from all three of these extremely important and full-time jobs. Here's an example. Not everyone's going to understand your baby's early feeding cues. 
When your baby starts mouthing its fingers, they're telling you that, I mean, they could eat if you're up to feeding them. This is a subtle feeding cue and can be missed by Aunt Marge as she's cooing at your adorable little one. Guess when Aunt Marge is going to hand your baby back? When they start crying, which is a very late feeding cue. Now you have to soothe your baby before you can even begin to try and feed them, and because they're only a few hours old and tire easily, they're likely to fall asleep on you. The result is a missed feeding session, and you'll need to wait until they wake up again to try later. Your immediate physical recovery can involve fatigue, breast and nipple soreness, and wearing an adult diaper so that you don't have to change pads every half hour. Your emotional recovery can mean mood swings that can change minute by minute almost as your hormones try to realign themselves. Listen, y'all, you need time and space to just be. When you fake a smile and waste energy entertaining visitors, your whole recovery process gets delayed. Now, this is something that not a lot of grandparents will want to hear. But some new and expecting parents might want to share this particular episode with their friends and family members at the baby shower. You could start by saying something like, I mean, it's not me. It's this person, Barb Buckner Suarez. She says that we should consider limiting the number of visitors we have for the first two weeks. I know, right? If it were up to me, I'd have all of you over immediately. But she says it's not always the best idea. So, and then just hit play on birthhappens.com and walk away. Listen, your friends and family will still come and visit you, even if the baby is over two weeks old. Your baby's still going to be cute as can be, still tiny and wonderful, but you'll be in a different place by then and better able to gauge whether it's a good time for visitors. Partners, y'all can be fantastic bouncers at the door, making sure that no one gets in that's not on the list. Of course, always understanding that the list can be changed at any time for any reason. And there needs to be clear communication that the only way a visitor gets in to see the baby is if they bring y'all food. Let's call it their entrance fee. Again, you're the one to decide if it's a good time to visit with them or not. No guilt. If it's not a good time, they can always make another lasagna and try again some other day. One more thing you need to know about visitors, and it's pretty big. Throughout your whole pregnancy, pregnant folks are given special attention. People are always asking when you're due. They open doors for you and give up their seats on the bus for you. Total strangers make eye contact with you and smile. It's so nice. But all that changes immediately once the baby's outside of you. The focus moves to the baby completely, and this can leave you feeling kind of like an afterthought. It's hard when visitor after visitor streams in and oohs and ahs over your baby and barely makes eye contact with you. You've been dethroned, and this can sting. Yet one more reason to hold off on the visitors until you're feeling a little less emotional and a little more on your feet. I'm not anti-visitors. Well, mostly I am, but not completely. You can have as many visitors as you'd like. They can even stay at your house with you in those first days and weeks, but only if they're the type of visitor who is, in fact, a helper. Helpers are those folks who will do your laundry, scrub your toilet, make you healthy snacks, do your grocery shopping, vacuum your entire house, keep their mouths shut about the choices that you're making as new parents. You get the idea. Remember, offering to hold the baby for you while you make them dinner is not something a helper would ever do. So please be very, very picky about who you choose to come for a visit in those first days and weeks after the baby is born. 
In this immediate postpartum period, you need helpers who will visit to support you by letting you have as much time as possible working out those three full-time jobs, getting to know your newborn, learning how to feed them, and recovering emotionally and physically. If you limit the amount of people in your space in the immediate postpartum time, as well as those first couple of weeks, I promise you'll be able to engage with them so much more when you're actually ready for them to visit. Protect that bubble of connection between you, your partner, and your baby. Helpers will support that bubble of connection. But visitors might end up popping it. So what's your visitor's policy? Have you let extended family and friends in on this policy? The mighty internet screams, bacon causes cancer. The report was actually about red and processed meat, but every news story that picked this up had a big old picture of bacon attached to it. Now, was it sheer coincidence, my rebel without a cause tendency, or both, that contributed to our family eating red meat not once, but twice in the week that this story hit the news? Beef stew on Tuesday, and butter noodles with beef on Wednesday. And both were delicious. The fact that we hadn't cooked red meat in our house for the six months prior was more than a little ironic. Now, my kids were worked up about these dinner offerings given the news story, and this allowed us to have a great family discussion about hype, media coverage, ratings-grabbing behavior, and how to read studies with a critical eye that looks beyond the headlines. These are also great things to remember as new parents. There will almost always be something that you should or should not be doing as a parent for fear of really screwing up your children. Sometimes these things flip-flop and end up in direct opposition to one another, so it behooves you to read headlines not as gospel truth, but as an article to read for yourself and determine if A, It's sound, scientific, and evidence-based information. B, it builds on the studies that have come before and is adding to mounting evidence for or against something. And C, the statistical significance points to a risk of doing this behavior or avoiding that behavior as making a real difference in the quality of health or life. Now, y'all, I'm not going to list out specific parenting decisions here. Why? Because I have my own way of parenting my children, and those parenting decisions I make are influenced by a lot of different things, my family of origin, my friend circle, the books I've chosen to read, and the pediatrician that my children see. What I know might happen if I state my opinion about any specific parenting issue is one of two things. Either someone hears my take on an issue, but they parent the exact opposite way of me, and then feel the need to argue with me about it, or someone feels like I've just endorsed something as the right way to parent. That's a little too much responsibility for me, and quite frankly, it doesn't place enough responsibility on you as new parents. That may sound harsh, and I'm sorry if you're picking up on a tone, but it needs to be said. I want you to parent your own child the way you feel is right for your family. It doesn't have to look at all like how I do it, or how your siblings or friends do it, or how your own parents did it when it was their turn. And while it makes sense to pay attention to what studies say about best practices in parenting, those best practices might not work for you and your family. An example that comes to mind is how we chose to let our baby stay up with us until we went to bed. 
after the craziness of that initial fourth trimester had settled down, mind you. My husband wanted to be able to see and hold his baby after he got home from work. My first baby ate every two hours around the clock until she was eight months old, y'all. It didn't make sense to us that we'd put her down in a crib upstairs while we hung out together watching TV in the basement, only to have to get up and grab her every couple of hours to feed her again. So we just kept her with us the whole time. I would feed her, then my husband would snuggle her until she fell asleep on his chest or in his arms, and he'd keep her there until she wanted to eat again. When we were all ready to go to sleep, and we're night owls in this house, we'd go up to bed together. Now, I can assure you that this will never be listed in any book or study about being a best practice on how to get your baby to sleep at night. I can also tell you that there are lots of people who will hear this and think that we were completely crazy. But still, it was a practice that we repeated with each of our four children, and it worked beautifully for us as a family. Y'all, I'm not looking for validation or vilification for making this choice and how we parented our babies around the issue of sleep. I'm just sharing with you how we came up with a solution that was right and worked for our family. I want you to consider what's working for your family, along with all the scientific evidence and best practices out there, and remember that almost everything extreme is not good for you. There is such a thing as drinking too much red wine, or eating too much dark chocolate, or yes, it's true scarfing down too much bacon. But there's also such a thing as using your own common sense and realizing that moderation is key. Try to keep this in mind even as headlines use extreme tactics to gain your attention, especially around issues of parenting. And protect yourselves and your decisions from the judgment of others by creating boundaries around those decisions. Finding out what works for your family, those unique parenting decisions that you make that are just right for you, Boost your new parent confidence level in a way nothing else can. Not even bacon. Have you come up with any parenting decisions that sit outside the norm or hide in the shadows of the headline-grabbing new trend? How confident do you feel about making some of your own decisions about the best way to parent your child? Have you ever heard of the honor code? It's something usually found in academic settings or universities and is a set of rules or principles created to govern the behavior of the members within that community. A posted honor code might read something like this. On my honor, I have neither given nor received unauthorized aid in completing this assignment. The expectation is that all members of the community will use the honor code as they work together to complete their assignments, whatever those might be. So what does the honor code have to do with parenting? As it turns out, plenty. Today's parents oftentimes feel as though they're supposed to complete their assignment, also known as raise their children, without any help from others. They're supposed to do this parenting thing all on their own because they do have access to all the information. Thanks, Google no matter if that information is good, bad, or otherwise not evidence-based. Today's parents only have to make about a million different decisions about the best way to parent, and then this will prove to everyone else just how smart, strong, and capable they are in their new role. This is a mistake. Parenting is really hard, 
And beyond acknowledging that fact, new parents should be encouraged to seek out as much aid as possible in completing this parenting assignment. But that's just it. There are two parts to the honor code, y'all. It's not just about receiving aid. There's also the part about giving aid. And it seems to me like a lot of people forget that part, especially when it comes to parenting. New parents are constantly subjected to others' opinions and advice about the best way to feed, diaper, bathe, discipline, play with, love, and basically raise their children to be responsible and contributing adults. But all too often, the opinions and advice they're given end up being completely unauthorized. Any helpful suggestions, if unsolicited, are probably falling on deaf ears. When information is shared in this way, it usually comes from someone who's made a different decision than you about the best way to feed, diaper, bathe, discipline, etc. Why do they do it? It's such a contradiction. Most people can't stand it when someone tries to give them unsolicited advice about anything, especially parenting. So why do they think that others will appreciate it? Well, it might have something to do with everyone being so scared all the time that they're screwing it up, that they're not doing this parenting thing right, whatever that means. So when they offer up suggestions without being asked to do so, remember, they're not so interested in helping you become a better parent as much as they're interested in making themselves feel better about their own parenting decisions. It makes them feel better, or at least more convicted, if they're busy defending their own decisions, even when that might mean telling others exactly how they're doing it wrong. Parenting is a giant pit of vulnerability. And while most new parents want and need lots of help, no one wants the unauthorized kind. New parents want to have a say about what kind, when, where, and from whom this help should come from. And as long as this aid is authorized, then it's a good thing to be on the receiving end of it. I've mentioned that I do a little lurking on a social media parenting site. I rarely post anything. It's just important for me to know what new parents are discussing online. But most of the time, I feel sad about how unsupportive this whole community feels to me. It's like everyone has forgotten the code of honor. People forget how to ask the people they actually know, love, and respect for the aid they need, so they post their requests online. And apparently those who are responding have forgotten what it means to provide aid and are instead on the lookout and ready to attack insecure and vulnerable parents by defending their own parenting choices as superior. So I've created something for all of you would-be parents, new parents, and very experienced parents. And I'm calling it the Parental Code of Honor. Share it with others, commit it to memory, and refer back to it whenever the itch to break the code grabs you. The Parental Code of Honor On my honor, I pledge to support my fellow parents-in-arms as they try their personal best to complete this parenting assignment. I recognize they might choose to parent differently from me, but unless their choices are causing serious harm to themselves or their children, I pledge not to point this out to them. I will only offer advice if I am asked specifically to do so, and then after offering said advice, I will add these or similar words. This is just what worked for me, but I'm not an expert, so what works for one family might not work for another. I will also do my best to seek out aid and support in this parenting endeavor from people that I actually know personally, 
people whom I respect as parents and human beings. I pledge to use critical thinking skills whenever I receive advice in order to make my own decision as to whether or not I will adopt these new parenting strategies. I also pledge to uphold the parental code of honor all my days and will not forget how challenging it was when my own children were small. I will refrain from saying things like, my baby slept through the night at four weeks, or isn't parenting a newborn the most wonderful time of your life, or anything else that would make the parents standing in front of me feel as though they're doing anything less than a fantastic job. Lastly, if anyone sees me flagrantly disregarding the parental code of honor, I will expect them to gently follow up with a response that is more appropriate and positive, thereby modeling how to both give and receive aid in this assignment. Now, I'm not sure if my draft of the Parental Code of Honor will make any real difference. After all, an honor code is only as good as the community of members who pledge among themselves to uphold it. But y'all, I can't help thinking it's worth a shot. had some thoughtful conversations with expecting or new families about some of the particular challenges they've faced around parenting during COVID. My offer here is to be a go-between in communicating what they might not be saying out loud to their extended families. Parenting's always been the hardest job in the world. Raising the next generation is not for the faint of heart, y'all. But in generations past, new parents could at least rely on their family and friends to physically support them as they found their way. Even experienced parents could count on getting a break from the day-to-day demands of caring for little ones by having grandma and grandpa stay for a long weekend or paying a babysitter for those much-needed date nights. But y'all, we are living in unprecedented times. Today's parents of babies and young children are being lumped into the sandwich generation far too soon. This refers to having to care for your parents while at the same time taking care of your own children. Typically, This happens years down the road when your parents are approaching their 80s and you still have children living at home. Due to this global pandemic, relatively young grandparents are needing to take extra precautions. Over the age of 65, they're considered to be at a higher risk of contracting COVID and might have potentially serious complications should they catch the coronavirus. This means new and experienced parents are having to reconsider their support system, and this can cause friction between the generations. Here is my open letter to all grandparents. It's an attempt to share what your children are experiencing and a request for the support that can make all the difference for today's generation of parents. Dear grandparents, aka mom and dad, we had no idea that trying to parent the next generation amidst a global pandemic would be this challenging. No one alive today has ever had to experience what we're going through. Maybe we live far away from each other, Maybe we live in the same zip code. In either case, the usual ways you might offer to help us out right now might not work. We really wish you could come and visit with no concerns. We're new at this, feeling overwhelmed and legitimately scared that we might screw this whole parenting thing up. You have no idea how comforting it would be to have you here, feeding us home-cooked meals, doing our laundry, holding your grandbaby so we can just get some more sleep. We have so many questions about how to care for this baby, and having you here to give us some of those answers would be such a gift. Even if we've been at this parenting gig for a while, 
Believe us when we say how hard it is right now. Trying to work from home while simultaneously needing to entertain or educate our children in a space that was never set up to be an office, daycare, and school is so challenging. On top of this, we're still trying to make sure that our little ones get some kind of physical and emotional support that doesn't come from a screen. We're feeling overwrought, guilty, isolated, and tired. So, so tired. We'd love nothing more than to have you here to take some of this weight off of our shoulders. Each of us could use a break from this 24-7 parenting. But our relationship needs a break too. The thought of a date night has become a fantasy that we're worried might not ever become a reality again. But we have to think about what level of risk we're willing to take. For our new little family, but also for you. It's hard to remember that some of our decisions are for your safety. Now, you might believe you're not at risk. I'm super active and healthy, you keep telling us. You might think we're overreacting, or worse, you think we don't want you or need you right now. But nothing could be further from the truth. We want you to be in our lives for years to come. This means we might have to ask you to respect the boundaries that we've put in place right now. That's not what we want, and it sure as hell isn't what we need but it's what we've decided feels right to keep all of us healthy and safe. Here's the thing, though. We still need your support. Maybe now, more than ever before. We know that we used to be the ones to call and check in on you, but things are crazy right now. We're up early trying to get some work in before everyone else wakes up, and we have to tag team throughout the day just to keep up with the demands of caring for our kids, our pets, our partners, and ourselves, By nightfall, we're so exhausted that we fall into bed, tossing and turning, wondering how the hell are we going to be able to wake up again and do it all tomorrow? So, could you give us a call? We know what you're going through is also hard. We're not trying to say it isn't. But maybe you could just check in to see how we're handling things right now. Maybe FaceTime with the little ones so we can get a shower in, or send us that recipe of our favorite comfort foods that you would have made for us postpartum. Honestly, just knowing that you're genuinely interested and concerned about us would mean so much. Ultimately, this is what can help us raise the next generation through the global pandemic, because some days it feels like we're having to do it all by ourselves. It's not just that we don't have you to lean on for support. It's just that it feels like we don't have anyone right now. We love you. We need you. We're grateful for you. But either... We don't have the time, or we're not very good at asking for help, or both. Please consider this an open invitation for you to check in with us and offer the help we need right now, your unconditional love and support for us while we try to tackle the hardest job ever. Love us. A.K.A. your kids who finally get how hard parenting is now that we're doing it ourselves. One morning, I called my mom almost in tears, saying that I'd already yelled at my kids at least 25 times that day, and it was only half past nine in the morning. I asked her how she'd done it with twice as many kids as me, and without ever yelling at any one of us. What? She asked incredulously. And I'd responded, I don't ever remember you even raising your voice at us. And my wonderful mama laughed out loud for a full five minutes before saying, 
That's what I'd call having a selective memory, sweetheart. Then she shared with me some epic tales of losing it and going off on us kids, none of which I remembered, and then told me something very important. Honey, when your children are small, the truth of the matter is that the days are long, but the years are short. And now that I'm in the messy middle of all things motherhood, I have to agree with her. I usually tell the expectant parents in my classes how jealous I am of them. They look at me like, you said what now? But seriously, I am. I love to give birth, y'all, and we do it again and again and again. But I'm also jealous about what comes after. Now, I don't envy the sleepless nights, the sore nipples, or the diaper changes to come. And to be sure, age three was unbelievably hard for me. All four times. Can I get an amen from the veteran parents, please? No, I don't have hazy, rose-colored memories of parenting infants and toddlers. I vividly remember being attached at the hip to at least one of my babies all day long. And what it felt like when the only hours that belonged to me were either those when I was sleeping or when I was alone in the bathroom without one of my children walking in on me or asking me a long list of questions through the closed door. In all honesty, these bathroom moments continue to be few and far between. And now it's my dog who can't seem to leave me alone in peace. But I do envy expectant parents the opportunity to be transformed by the awesome power of birth, to find a strength that is yet to be tapped and a vulnerability that has yet to be explored. I am jealous that they get to discover a whole new person they never even knew existed inside themselves, being born on the same day as they welcome their new baby. I love being a mama, and my kids are absolute gifts in my life. But parenting has been by far the hardest job I've ever had. And I'm starting to appreciate the nostalgia expressed by parents who are no longer in that intense phase of parenting little littles. You know what I'm talking about. You're in the middle of Target with a six-year-old who always manages to be where you can't see her, a three-year-old who keeps trying to get out of a seat in the shopping cart, and a newborn who's decided that now is the perfect moment to have her first real meltdown and is screaming inconsolably. As you struggle to wrestle the baby out of the front pack carrier, unhook your bra with one hand, corral the other two, and sit down in the middle of the storage container aisle to feed your baby, you catch the eye of an older woman walking past. She sees your frustration rising to a breaking point, walks over, gives your arm a tight squeeze and says, you'll miss all of this one day. They grow up too fast. And in that moment, you can't decide if you want to hug her or punch her in the face. This may or may not have happened to me a while back. What does she mean? She can't possibly mean that she wishes to switch places with you. She doesn't. Or that she longs for the days when her children were all moving in different directions and demanding so much energy, time, and attention that she remembers feeling like she never had enough for herself. She doesn't. But maybe with the passage of time, she's realized the wisdom in my mother's words. The days are long, and let's face it, some days longer than others. But the years are oh so short. And maybe she too has a somewhat selective memory when it comes to what it was like to have babies and toddlers underfoot. Maybe she honestly forgets, or chooses to anyway, all that made that time in her life so challenging, and instead focuses her attention on all that she loved about that time as well. The softness of her newborn's cheek, the delicious smell of her baby's head, the dimples of her toddler's hands, 
the chubby feet and rolls upon rolls of her little one's thighs. The sing-song call of, Mommy! Mommy! She doesn't envy you those incredibly long days, but maybe she wishes that she could freeze time for those days that went by too fast. It's a blessing for us all that selective memory exists when it comes to parents and children. The selective memory allows us to decide what we choose to focus on. I really cannot remember my mom raising her voice at us. In fact, as I got older, she mastered the use of lowering her voice for emphasis to great effect. But this imperfect recording of my childhood gives me hope. Maybe the same will be true for my own children. Maybe they'll also have a selective memory of their childhood and focus mostly on just how much I loved them, not on how often I failed to show it because my temper or my impatience got the better of me, and I lost it once or twice. Or more. This is my hope for all of you mamas out there who've had that moment of regret that you weren't perfect in your parenting today. Those moments when your parental vulnerability was on full display and you were desperately looking for a set of armor to put on. And if today has been incredibly long, may tomorrow be easier, but not necessarily shorter. And may you and your children have beautiful and imperfect memories of your day-to-day together. And instead, someday, feel wistful and nostalgic for those years that went by too fast. Setting boundaries is never an easy thing to do, and it might make you feel really uncomfortable. But remember, healthy boundaries are incredibly important for the overall health of your new little family. Find some time where you can sit down to reflect on your circle of support and answer these four questions. Number one, who in our circle can we count on to be helpers? Who fall into the category of visitors instead? Be honest about this, y'all. Helpers will scrub your toilets, do your laundry and grocery shopping, and only hold the baby if you ask them to. Visitors will want to grab the baby from you immediately, sip on a glass of wine while you make them a snack, and wonder aloud when they'll get the chance to hit the local tourist activities while they're in town. Do not confuse the two. Number two, when do we want people to come to help? And what specifically are the types of help that we need? It will be so much easier for you and your helpers if you think about the types of support you're looking for ahead of time. And make a list, walking the dog, meal prep, laundry, garbage recycling, whatever. People want to be helpful, but if you wait until after the baby's born to come up with that list, you'll end up feeling very overwhelmed and unable to think clearly enough to create a list in the first place. Number three. What do we want our holidays to look like moving forward? Are we celebrating with the larger friends and family circle? Or are we wanting to keep it more low-key and focused on our new family's traditions? Yeah, this is a big one, but if you don't figure this out early, it has the potential to become a long-running issue for years to come. There are likely some traditions that you've been doing since your childhood that are so lovely, you want to carry them into your new family. 
but there might also be some tried and true traditions that you're ready to opt out of or tweak in some ways that fits you and your family now better. Decide if and how you'll be celebrating the bigger moments of your family's life sooner than later so that assumptions and expectations from your extended family are kept to a minimum. Number four, who gets your limited time and attention? When you become parents, one of the things you'll discover is that your most precious commodities of time and attention are limited and now at a premium. So use that as your guide to decide who deserves that moving forward. Draw a line in the sand and only give your time and attention to those who make you feel good about yourself as an individual and in your new role as a parent. If you leave any interaction with someone feeling depleted or less than, let this be the motivation you need to construct some healthy boundaries around that relationship. Remember, we can't now, we have a baby, can be a great way to distance yourself from those who are unsupportive. Y'all, becoming a parent is a life-changing event that creates ripples throughout your family and friend circles, and this can be a really vulnerable time. You'll need to renegotiate your boundaries with those you love, and it will call into question the ways you want to show up as a parent. If those ways are different from how you were parented, this can be a touchy subject between the generations. It's important to get real about your new role as a parent, and for some of you, That'll mean leaning heavily on the folks who've gone before you, especially if you think they got it right. But what if you want to do things really differently than your family of origin or those friends who are already parenting? Remember, the people who you call in for support matter. So make sure that you've established those healthy boundaries with folks who can handle that the decisions you've made for your own family don't threaten the decisions they've made for theirs. You should know that setting boundaries can help your family in the following ways. It can promote autonomy, reduce emotional burnout, set some clear expectations, decrease your personal and familial stress levels, increase self-respect and respect from others, improve your ability for self-care, improve your overall emotional health, and improve your relationships in all areas of your life. It's hard work, this mining of vulnerability for the gifts that are there for the taking. But those gifts are yours, if you want them. We're over halfway through the season of Birth Happens. How am I doing in my case for embracing vulnerability instead of running from it? I never said it would be easy, y'all. I just know that it's worth it. If you think Birth Happens is worth it, would you mind sharing this with someone or two or three that you know? Tell them they can find it wherever they listen to podcasts, or they can always download and subscribe directly at birthhappens.com. But we're not done yet. We need to explore the specific vulnerabilities that are brought up in the role of the father or partner parent. So we'll tackle that next time on Birth Happens. Birth Happens.